0: Hello and welcome to bird for Friday, September 23rd, 2022. I'm Mike Gachopoli. Okay, we have made it to the end of another week. The end of another week. It's Friday. Everyone's hopefully gonna have a big weekend. Um, I'm actually heading out to on Saturday to um to a very interesting. Place called Resiliency Village, and Resiliency Village is a village out in kind of north, I'd say north, eastern California, not not far from a city called a small town called Soulsbyville and uh, they have a Resiliency Village where they what they put together is like this, this uh, community for homeless people, but it's a very strict, very strictly run. Where if you're drinking drugs, you're out, you're out. And I actually have a friend of mine who, uh, who runs it. And um, we're going to their one-year anniversary. So it should be, that's my, that'll be my Saturday. My Saturday will be the one-year anniversary of this Resiliency Village. I'm actually going to go see what it's all about. I've been meaning to get out there. And since it's the one-year anniversary, that's what I'll be doing. What are you going to be doing? Anything interesting? Anything interesting? Actually, you know, if you remember the movie Patch Adams... Robin Williams played Patch Adams, the doctor. That guy, I think, lives in the area, and he's actually going to come speak at this Resiliency Village thing. So, I want to see how a community can put together a, uh, a, I guess, a community for homeless, and it can actually work out. I understand this is actually really working out, but when I really understand, the bare bones of the whole thing, is that if you if you're doing drugs, or if you drink, or you know if you do stuff that's out of line, you're out. It's very mm-hmm. strict. And I think those are the kind of kind of rules you need in order to make something like that uh, work. But I'll let you guys know more about it on Monday. Next week's show, Monday night, our first show of the new week, I'll let you know more about it. But that's what I'm doing. But I'd like to know maybe what you're doing. Anything interesting? I actually have a couple of films to talk about at the end of the show. At the end of the show, I have a couple of films to, to, to talk about, both to recommend actually i just came back from a, a a place in san francisco called bob's donuts i am really i'm really like i have a sugar high right now because a two huge donuts a chocolate donut and a raspberry filled jelly donut um, bob's donuts is very famous here in san francisco there's actually usually a line there are two locations and uh actually i'm a bob's donut virgin it was my first dose of bob donuts but my sugar high right now is incredible so if I, if I talk fast, you know, if what I'm saying I know I talk fast to begin with. I'm a New Yorker and you don't understand what I'm saying. So if I, if I talk fast like that, you have to excuse me. Hopefully I'll hopefully I'll come down soon from my from my uh, natural my natural sugar high. Um, well, you see from the heading of this of this uh, show, from the headline, you vote for Dems, you get what you deserve. Now, it, what made me write that was that I saw from Newsweek. Now, once again, grain of salt over the shoulder from Newsweek. Newsweek was also very popular at running COVID fear porn stories for at least the first year and a half, maybe two years. It was all COVID fear porn. So you really couldn't believe, you can't believe much of what Newsweek says, but um, uh, they were just basically wanting hits. They were actually playing, psych- Newsweek was playing psychological games for COVID. They put up a story with this fear porn saying everyone's dying, and then they put out some kind of an article criticizing Fauci. And then they go back the next day and say, oh, everyone's dying, and then they criticize Fauci. You know, so it was a very weird psychological game they were playing. I'm sure it was just to get hits for as long as can because COVID sells. Anything COVID sells, no matter what the angle is. So I think they just wanted to sell. They wanted to get hits. And so New York was really bad. For, for for quite a while with that stuff. So anyway, I just saw a blurb. Newsweek says, in latest poll, Charlie Crist ties Ron DeSantis in Florida for the governor's race. And I'm thinking, okay, six weeks out. Let's see. Florida now has what? I think 300,000, about 300,000 more registered Republicans than Democrats. Let's think about this for a second. 300,000 more. It's the largest lead for at, at, at any time for Republicans registering over Democrats in Florida, so that kind of takes it out of the, you know, back and forth lean Dem, lean Republican toss-up kind of state, into kind of, you know, not just lean Republican, but more than lean. I wouldn't call it strong Republican, but I'd say heavily lean Republican. And uh, and now all of a sudden. I mean, DeSantis had this huge lead, like 10, 12, 15 points. Now it's tied all of a sudden. And of course, Newsweek says it's because, and this is Newsweek saying this, you would never know this. See, when when, when they poll people, they're going to ask who you're voting for, right? They're not saying why you're voting for a person. They don't, they, give up, they don't give an issue and say, they just say who you're voting for. But Newsweek put their own spin on it saying, well, it's because Ron DeSantis sent 50 people to Martha's Vineyard. So you're telling me that? Hundreds of thousands, millions of Floridians have changed their mind. They loved Ron DeSantis. They loved what he did for COVID for two and a half years. They loved the guy. He, he protected their economy, protected their children. But, oh, my God, he sent 50 people to Martha's Vineyard. We can't vote for him anymore. So if you believe that shit, then I don't know what to tell you. And if you are going to vote for Democrats, whatever the reason may be, you're going to get what you deserve on November 9th. You're going to get what you deserve. When they're emboldened by winning and they do lockdowns again, or even if it's a skinny little lockdown, a skinny lockdown, a mild lockdown, even if they bring back mass mandates for temporary periods, whatever they may do, you're going to deserve it all. Also, you'll deserve an economy in the shitter. Look at what's happening to the stock market. The stock market is now lower than it was, well, I believe, 2020. I believe now it's hit a low, three year low, below 30,000 for the first time since 2020. So you, you're talking about a stock market that's crashing, economy that's in the dumps, nobody's working, inflation's 8.5%, gas is a, over a buck higher than it was when 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 Trump left office. So if you if you want more of that, then you're going to deserve more of that. I don't want to hear any crying. I don't want any crying if you vote for a Democrat and there's more lockdowns or more mandates of the mask kind, whether it's on airplanes or restaurants, I don't care if— Don't cry about vaccine passports and vaccine mandates and fully vaccinated, meaning 27 boosters. Don't cry about any of that. Don't cry about the economy. Don't cry that you can't put food on the table. Don't cry you can't find the job that pays. Don't don't cry that your 401k is in the shitter. Don't cry about any of that if you're going to vote for Democrats on November 8th. Don't cry about your children being taught about critical race theory, that if you're white, don't, don't cry about your 10-year-old being called a racist for being white in school. Don't cry about your 12-year-old being taught about gender and sex change. Don't cry about any of that if you vote for Democrats on November 8th. I don't want to hear any crying because you will get what you deserve. They have served notice for the last several years. They have served notice on what they believe in, what they don't believe in, what they're going to do to you. Okay? They crave control. They crave authoritarianism, fascism. And if you vote for them, you're going to get what you deserve. Now, once again, I don't necessarily believe any poll that says 137 year old lifetime uh, politician Charlie from the crypt has tied Ron DeSantis. I don't believe it at all. Uh, Maybe they took a snapshot out of Miami. Maybe they took a snapshot out of some very liberal area. But I do not believe. For one second, I mean, Floridians love this guy. His approval is through the roof. His approval is very high. Why would Charlie Crist have tied him? With Republicans outnumbering Democrats, 300,000, that would mean if he's tied that many Republicans would have to be voting for Charlie Crist, which makes absolutely zero sense, of course. Now, I think what the polls are not catching. I think what the polls are not catching, as I've, and I've said this for months now are these newly registered Republicans. I think these polls, like in a place like Florida, are polling based on either either two or four years ago, depending on how they're doing it. I don't know if they're polling based on the 2020 numbers or the last midterm numbers. I don't know. In 2018, I, I just don't know. But I'm, I'm I'm quite sure they're not registering all these new people who have either switched from Democrat to Republican or newly New voters who never voted, who never voted before, who are now registered Republican. I don't think the I don't think the, they're ca- they're capturing the electorate very well, because of how the electorate has switched since 2020. The way it, all these states like Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is still dominated by Democrats by about 200,000, but that's really changed. That's down like over 100,000 from 2020. Florida's totally flipped over the last few years, so I don't think it's capturing that change in the demographic. And so what I believe will happen and we'll know soon enough is that whatever the polls say on the eve of the election, I think Democrats are going to do far worse. I think Republicans are going to do a lot better than the polls are going to say on the eve of the election. And some people might be prepared for that and some people might not. And I think Democrats are in for a rude awakening when the polls say, you know, things are tighter than expected. I think they're going to lose big. I think that in the exit polls, that electorate switch, we will see that in the exit polling. But these these polls are just not picking it up. They're not reaching those newly registered Republican voters, people who have flipped from one party, from Democrat to Republican, in just large numbers, in the hundreds of thousands, in the hundreds of thousands in many states. Because mathematically, like I said, When you have 300,000 more registered Republicans and Democrats in a state like Florida, and Republicans love Ron DeSantis, I mean, polls have been taken for the last two and a half years, Democrats, independents in Florida like DeSantis. They like what he did. They like that he kept their economy strong. He liked that they kept their schools open. They like all these things. So I do not believe, first of all, that one issue in which most Republicans are going to like him even more, sitting those immigrants and showing what phonies liberals are. Most Republicans are going to like him more for that, not less. I certainly like him more from that. I'm not even a Republican. So I don't believe that with the, with the Democratic numbers, in order for Charlie Chris to be anywhere near Ron DeSantis, you'd have to have hundreds of thousands of Republicans crossing over in Florida voting against Ron DeSantis for a lifetime politician who's switched parties a hundred times and is just a total empty suit. So I don't believe it. But if you, in any case, in any state... <clears throat> If you're voting Democrat, and people will vote Democratic, you deserve what you get in the places they win. You deserve what you get in the places they win. I don't want you crying. I don't want you blaming Trumpism. I don't want you blaming Trumpers. I want you blaming yourself for voting for Democrats after what they've done to us for the last two and a half years. You must just blame yourself. I'm going to give myself, I, I'm, I've given my, here, this new emoji thing. I'm going to give myself 10. Eight, nine, ten thumbs up for that. By the way, the emoji thumbs up is in the bottom right. I don't know what it means. Uh, if I get so many, i win a prize. I don't know. But if you want to give me a thumbs up, it's funny. They don't have thumbs down. They don't have thumbs All these social media companies are afraid of thumbs down, like Twitter. Twitter had a thumbs down for about two days. I was getting this thing where I could give something a thumbs down and it went away. It went away. We've got to be positive. We can't be negative. We've got to be positive. Got to be positive. <clears throat> okay, um, I'm trying to just go onto my Twitter feed here and uh, see what else is uh, is happening. Um, Stacey Abrams. Speaking of Democrats, see if you vote for Stacey Abrams in 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 uh, in Georgia, you definitely get what you deserve, and you deserve the absolute worst. So Stacey Abrams comes out. I'm actually trying to find. The video of it was really bad. The video quality was terrible. I don't know who they it was like, they were filming it with a banana, but, um, you can understand what she said. they had asked her about <clears throat> a fetal heartbeat at six weeks. And she said, Oh, that's not a real heartbeat. That's a manufactured heartbeat that gynecologists are manufacturing to gain sympathy for the anti-choice or you might call it, I guess she calls it anti-choice sentiment. So According to Stacy Abrams, gynecologists around the entire country are all right wingers. Gynecologists, doctors around the entire country in places that would include California, New York, because you see these 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 heartbeats are detected at six weeks. They're the same, whether it's a doctor in California, a doctor in New York, a doctor in Mississippi, a doctor in Alabama, they're the same fucking thing, Stacey. You, you dimwit. But according to Stacey Abrams, every gynecologist in the country, it's a conspiracy. Now, they won't call her a conspiracy theorist for saying this absolute bat crap crazy thing that she said, which that gynecologists around the country are manufacturing fake heartbeats in those six-week-old sonograms, okay, manufacturing fake heartbeats to gain sympathy for the anti-abortion crowd to make it look like there's a heartbeat. It's, it's Hollywood manufacturers, like a Hollywood movie. Gynecologists around the country are doing Hollywood productions and making the heartbeat sound through technical wizardry. She's nuts. She's absolutely insane. Now, once again, if Trump, when Trump says something like, what did he say about the COVID thing? Was it hydroxychloroquine or was it sun rays? It's all over the place how crazy this comment is. Yet Stacey Abrams makes a bat crap, crazy conspiracy theorist nut job statement like that about fetal heartbeats being manufactured and crickets. Crickets from anyone but Fox TV or or right wing podcasts or right wing crickets from ninety-nine percent of the media. Crickets from all of the DNC controlled media. They can't even say it was a stupid thing. They, you, they could like Stacey Abrams as much as they want. They can't, they can't even admit that was the dumbest, sickest, craziest thing anyone has probably said this century. Doctors are manufacturing. The, the doctors are, are editing these heartbeats to make it sound like the baby's alive when they're not. How sick. The fact of the matter is, uh, Stacey, dear honey, sweetie. Technology has gotten better. So these sonograms now, these, 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 these things they do to get the heartbeat and stuff and show the baby, and they've gotten better than they were 20 years ago. It's called technology. They've gotten better than they were in the 1950s. It's called technology. That's why we can see the babies better. We can hear the heartbeat better than we could in 1975 or 1982. Do you understand that? That's why. That's why you hear the heartbeat now so well. Not because the college is doing a Hollywood production, because they're all Trumpers. Fucking idiot. I swear to God. This is what I mean. How could you vote for a Democrat? How could you vote for this person? I know Kemp is the mo- isn't the most the most exciting person in the world. I get it. Kind of milk toast. I understand it. But he's a white guy, more than middle-aged, a little bit older than me. Middle- I get it. I get it. She's a black woman, eh, like Kamala, right? How could you vote for this? What, even if you're considering voting for someone, when they say something as bat crap crazy as that, I don't understand how you can continue to vote for that person, continue to promote that person. I know Kemp is up in the polls by like eight, nine, ten points, which means he probably won by fifteen, like I said, with the registrations and, and the polling. But I, I still don't get how any, anyone can vote for Stacey Abrams. If you vote for her, you're voting for her simply. I'll get to your call, by the way, Iggy, in one second. Um. You're just voting for her because you're the cult of Democrat or you're a cult of identity politics. That's all. There's no other reason to vote for her. You're a Democratic Party loyalist. She's done very well in Georgia with getting Democratic people registered. It's kind of the opposite of Florida. Democrats have done. She's done better. They've done better in Georgia recently. State Hamas is a big part of that. But okay, she registers Democratic voters. So what? It doesn't make her qualified to be governor of Georgia. And after a comment like that, come on seriously oh iggy you're on the show what's up
1: hey dude um i'm curious about uh i came in because i I think i was interested in the question and i'm wondering what you think about a couple of things so you and i both live in a two-party system and essentially there's an argument to be made that says that the system is rigged and it really doesn't matter uh When it comes down to actual policy and actually what happens in a country like the UK or the US, whether you vote for the left or the right actually doesn't matter because the system is rigged anyway. And really what you're engaged with is an artificial theatre of this so-called difference between the right and the left. that kind of doesn't exist because or it can be demonstrated by no matter who goes in what happens is your country's policies are essentially going to be consistent um regardless of which party or who the president is or who the prime minister is because that has now become the nature of pol- of, of of politics um it is the manufactured theater of so-called debate and difference but really underneath the mechanism of state is actually just peddling the same policy agenda, no matter which party is in power. I mean, how do, how does that how do you, what do you make of that? A lot
0: of people who call my show say the same kind of thing. I mean, I, I said yesterday this seems to be a um, a theme with callers to this show, which is that, in other words, it's like I don't put in the most simplistic terms, but it's like nothing matters, nothing matters, right? It's like no matter what you do, it's they're both evil. They're both equally evil. They pretend to be different, but they're all friends in the in the end, and they're all the same. And it doesn't matter. I I understand the cynicism. I'm a very cynical person. I, I understand the cynicism of politics in this country or the UK, and um, or Canada. I get it. Um, I just think if you look at certain issues, which I consider key issues. Once again, I can't. I'm not going to go back twenty, thirty, forty years. I'm not going to go back to Reaganomics or Clinton. I, I just can't. I mean, we have to talk about what's happened. Let's say over the last two or three years, and I can say there are stark differences. There are stark differences between the way Democrats and Republicans handled COVID, the way they spoke about COVID, the way they handled vaccines, the way they handled masking, the way they talked about lockdowns, the way they, the way they, the, the Democrats treated Fauci as a god, and the Republicans didn't. I mean, there, there are differences that I've seen recently that make me believe. Let's put it this way. The Democratic Party needs to be punished. I think they need to be punished. Now, I could be saying this about the Republican Party six months or, or I should say a year from now after they take power or in 2024 after a Republican president wins. But I can just talk about what's happening now. And I just see very stark differences in very key issues. Let's put COVID to the side. Wokeism, this cancel culture. It's not being, Not having a sense of humor about things. This extreme thing of canceling people if they don't agree with you, of censoring people if they don't agree with you. That's a very much a left thing. We know the left has been in cahoots. The Democrats have been in cahoots with Twitter, with us, with Facebook, with social media to censor people, ban people, get rid of people who don't push their narrative. We have we have emails between Fauci and Biden in administration and Twitter. And we know that most of the people who work at Twitter and Facebook give, have given to Democrats. They're all Democrats. So there's something about that that's, that's incredibly unfair, that's not balanced enough, and that I think is very dangerous, it's very dangerous. You know, And I, right now I see Democrats as a dangerous, authoritarian, fascist party, and I don't see any evidence of the Republicans being that way right now. I just don't. I don't. I see Republicans saying everyone, if you go on truth social, you'll see Democrats saying things. You could say whatever you want. You could say you love Trump. You can say he's an old orange head lunatic, and they're not going to take you down. They're not going to ban you. They're not going to cancel you. They're not going to shadow ban you. Right now, I, I believe this sounds kind of I don't know, jingoistic or cheesy, when I say that right now, Democrats don't believe in freedom, but I'm not talking about necessarily American freedom, American freedom. I'm talking, you know, red, white, and blue flag. I'm talking about the essence of the word freedom, the essence of freedom of speech. I think that's very important. And right now we are definitely seeing it's undeniable that one party is the party of freedom of speech and one party is the party of the opposite. And it it's it just, I, I simply see the Democrats as being the party that hates the Constitution, they're not for full freedom of speech, they don't believe in the Second Amendment, they don't believe, you you can go through the entire Constitution, not going to do that right now, I have my pocket Constitution close by, but one by one you'll see things that the Democrats don't like about the Constitution and policies and things they've done that try to usurp the Constitution, which is why they lose in courts, they're losing in courts left and right, Iggy. They just lost Mm -hmm. again today. They just lost again today in New York. The the vaccine mandate for policemen was shot down. They must rehire those policemen. Now, who wanted the policemen fired? Not Republicans. Democrats wanted those policemen that weren't vaccinated not to be able to work. Democrats did that. That is a problem. Let's put it this way. I'll make it very simple. If I did this show five years ago, 10 years ago, I'd agree with you more that both parties are very much alike. But over the last two and a half years, I see a stark difference in three or four major issues where the parties are not alike. I'm, I'm just being honest with you.
1: Mm. Okay. I, I find that interesting, and I do agree with quite a lot of your your sentiments. But what? Okay. So, what about the idea though that? Um, so you talk about tech and the left. Have you ever read a book called uh, "When Google Met WikiLeaks"? No. No. It's really interesting. It's Julian Assange's take on literally when Eric Schmidt, then head of Google, rang him up uh, before he was put under house arrest and wanted to talk to him about tech matters. Right. And Assange didn't realize at the time what was going on. But in reflection and when he wrote that's what his he wrote the book, he realized what Schmidt was doing. So Schmidt had taken over as a corporate CEO from Sergey Brin and Larry Page. And this was the big corporatization of Google. And what he was doing was he was going to Assange as a technologist uh, of, you know on the, on the fringe and trying to get assange 's ideas of the future of the world under technology and he was stealing assange 's ideas and concerns and turning them into the policy of what Google could become interesting and this book charts how Eric Schmidt then used assange 's concerns sold those ideas into the halls of power and said Google can do this for the state. And that was a point in which Assange claims that roughly you can track the merger of big tech into the state and the blending of those two things, right? So now if you look at what Google is, it's called Alphabet. What does it do? It basically underpins the American US state alongside Amazon Mm -hmm. in providing tech platforms that are a huge way that power in general is exerted over over more than the u.s population right it's a really good book i strongly recommend it and um i take your point about i agree with you that if you look at how say tech has been used just in the covid era i agree that the censorship regime and also the drive to even shut down the internet and remove freedom from the internet is a concerted thing. I mean, the way the UK is doing this is fucking insane, man. Um, yeah. It's literally draconian, totalitarian, and it's all br- drummed up under false narratives, very very select, let's pick a tiny crisis and then claim that that is the reason why we should shut down freedom of speech on the internet. Right, it's right. Insane, exactly. right, exactly, exactly. You know, where I'm going with this is, if you take the World Economic Forum and say that that appears to be a, one of the major driving forces, certainly the public face of the major driving force of this drive towards um, what some might describe as a form of one world order a new or new world order, then the Democrats seem to embody, uh, very much embrace that approach. Do you think that's fair of me to say that?
0: Absolutely. And I, I think it was Biden, I believe, a few months ago who actually said new world order. Uh, you know, yeah. things it's like been said uh,
1: many times before by yeah, many like of the people. Like great well. reset,
0: new world order. When well, we talked about this two and a half years ago, we were called conspiracy nuts. Yeah. We
1: were yeah. called. Okay. Okay. So, but when you look at the voting record inside the House, surely that's going to be your real measure sure. of the division between sure. these two parties. Because if you are finding that both sides of the aisle, roughly the voting numbers, are similar. You fucked, right? I'll give <laughs> you an example. When 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 I look at your system, Ron Johnson, Rand Paul, DeSantis, and maybe maybe a few others who I'm not too familiar with, are really the only voices who are inside the inside Congress and the Senate standing up to 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 ask those real questions of how fucking fraudulent is the COVID narrative based upon this evidence? Right. Whereas most most politicians are not taking that stance at all which tells you that in some way that no matter which side of the aisle they're on there's a huge amount of sub-partisanship towards some other agenda yeah that's kind I, of how i, interpret I think that.
0: republicans were not most republicans like you mentioned you just mentioned the ones maybe a little ted cruz also but you mentioned the ones basically who were pre-vocal over the last two and a half years especially paul right and of course the with his policies he you know he, he he did the right thing as far as policies goes which which is huge but you're right. Too many Republicans with the, I think, But let me tell you what I think the real issue was. Well, some of them obviously are still stuck up in the arse, as you would say, of big pharma, and they get a lot Mm -hmm. of campaign contributions from big pharma. But I think a big part of it was, and still is to an extent, people being afraid of coming out and speaking out against these tyrannical measures because they would be, Especially in the first year and a half or so, they would be perceived as being conspiracy people uh trumpers, um, what are the, what, oh, uh, pro pro disease right you know on the side of COVID it's as ridiculous as it sounds on the side of people dying of a disease. So I think there was a lot of that going on, and that was a lot of that was was pressure from their peers and society and the country in which most people were very fearful. Very anxious, very hysterical over this thing. So I think a lot of them just didn't agree with the mandates and didn't agree with the lockdowns, but they just stood quiet because they didn't have the courage or the backbone to speak out against it. But what you did not see from most Republicans, governors, let's say, it's only thing that mattered really with the governors because we have states' rights here. What you didn't see from most Republican governors are excessive lockdowns, masking mandates, state mandates, emergencies, state emergencies, vaccine mandates, vaccine. The vaccine mandate and passport systems especially were all Democratic governors, mostly New York, Cuomo, Hochul mm-hmm. and California, Newsom. Um, but it was all them. There wasn't one Republican governor who had a vaccine mandate where if you don't have a vaccine, you lose your job. Not one of them. So in in the policies, I think they took a stand, and that's what really matters, right? I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. I wanted more Republicans to be talking out about this stuff the way Paul was and the way DeSantis was, but in the policies of the governors that had the power of their states, remember, basically here, as simplistic as it sounds, the governor is the president of their state, right? That's basically where they Mm -hmm. are, the president of their state. Um, The Republican governors did the right things, by and large, and the Democratic governors Especially the ones in New York and California did the wrong things, you know. And um, I think that's important. I think doing the right thing, being on the right side of history, having some vision and foresight, I think is important. And I just I, I, I've not I've been let down by the Democrats so many times in my life. You know, I was a I was an establishment Democrat, I was a Clinton Obama guy, then became a Bernie guy an anti-establishment person then you know, then the progressives totally sold out for the last two and a half years. So I've been so let down by these people that, you know, I just, I, at this point I can never see myself voting for them again,
1: you know, and, yeah, this,
0: I mean, and, and wokeism is, is is a, is a basically a left driven thing.
1: It's yeah. Left-driven. Okay. So I, I I completely get where you're coming from. Right. And, and as a UK guy watching America into COVID, what I said to, to, to a large group of colleagues, I'm a pilot by trade, um, Who, who uh, there were, about, there were large, well, a signif- about 100 of us all together who were watching this going, this is fucking insane. A, COVID isn't the threat that it's being made out to be. B, taking, taking these experimental jabs, certainly a group of pilots, is something we shouldn't be doing. Right, and then most people went along with it, and then even in your country, many of them were forced. It was completely insane, right? I'm I'm very sympathetic to everything you were just saying. Um, however, if you go back into the era of the uh, Clinton-Trump standoff, right, uh, so that that run up to that election, and then you look at um, Clinton's crimes, well, Clinton's crime latest crimes of the time, which were mm-hmm. the 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 mishandling classified information. The failure, the admitted failure of uh, the proper accounting and auditing of the of Clinton, and, uh, Clinton Global Initiative, and then the her loss um, under those problems to Trump. Mm. That's where Russia Great came up. She invented it. You know, if you look at the Fusion GPS, Chris Steele dossier, all of that, it's all invented by DNC, Hillary Clinton, to essentially make Trump an enemy, okay, an internal enemy, right. deflect um from clinton's crimes okay and then essentially um destroy uh trump's ability to act as a president in amongst all of the other mechanisms of the state that that, that were used against him right now and let me hold, hold your thought for one second i want because i'll forget what i want to say
0: yeah and remember, and remember they were great friends with donald trump they were the clintons and trumps were great friends until yeah. donald trump decided he was going to challenge them Okay. And At first they thought it was a joke and that they pumped him up because he has no way of winning, right? So they pumped him up. They really wanted him to win that primary because they yeah, felt- he,
1: they used yeah. him to take out the other primary. Right,
0: because they, they felt that she would destroy him. you know. Yeah. And, and, and when it didn't happen that way, when it really, when all of a sudden it seemed like he really wanted to win, he wasn't just doing it for like a reality show gig and he actually won. That is when, as I've mentioned on the show before, that is when the Trump derangement syndrome started. When mm. he dare, when a guy like that, who they loved as a celebrity, they loved him as the Trump Tower guy, the New York big mouth, they loved him. They loved him when he did, opened the ice skating rink and all that stuff. But when he dare, when an outsider with no political background or experience dare take on Hillary Clinton, that's when, that's when it all ended. That's when the affair ended and the Trump yeah. derangement syndrome began.
1: Because, because, because let's face it, you know, in your nation, you know, your your nation, like mine in a way, um, is is run by dynasties, right? You know, the, the Bush dynasty, the Clinton dynasty. You know, those are crime families, by many people's reckoning. Um, I don't know if you if you're familiar with Whitney Webb, but she's just put out two books by, uh, you know, she's just put out two books called um, One Nation Under Blackmail, and it's about the mm. charting of the Jeffrey Epstein situation. And how complex that situation is? Have you have you heard of it?
0: I have not. No, I haven't.
1: Okay, I'll look Try, into. Uh, it. I'll look into. Yeah, do because um, it's only like twenty five bucks for both volumes, right? It's eighty six dollars to ship it to the UK, so I'm waiting for the ebook, sadly. But um, um, basically, what she's saying is that when that even through open sourcing, she hasn't even got any real internal uh, dark sources, right? It's possible to work out that essentially epstein 's connections are so deep seated into not just the CIA and Mossad and other intelligence services, but his entire network of contacts, including bill Gates microsoft donald trump um, and the Clintons and so on and so forth, basically expose that essentially uh, America is is politically essentially a fucking massive racket right and and he is an epstein is by far way not an individual case when it comes to sex trafficking financial crimes and all the shit that he's done right right she he's completely un unbridled in saying this stuff based upon the research that she shoved into this book now if you take this view and and you accept that politics at the level of do i vote democratic or the party or do i vote republicans if you go and say, but beneath that there is this thing called a deep state, yep. and within that deep state there is huge complexity about who the fuck is really doing what, where the money's really coming to and going from. Okay, you've got this uh, never-ending problem of of citizens never really understanding how how power works, where it manifests, how it how it works, and where it comes from, where it goes to, who holds it and how money relates into all of that all of the time. Right. And it, it almost, for me, in some ways, it becomes this impossible problem where you just know, holy shit, our countries are so actually corrupt that in a way, without radical uh, public intervention, you're stuck in a, in a basically manipulated corrupt system. Um, yeah, I think, um, I think overall in
0: general, what you're talking about is absolutely there's a lot of truth to it. Absolutely. When you talk about the system overall and the idea of this two-party system here and the, and the, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, yes, you're right. And yes, there needs to be major, 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 major changes. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. There's an inherent, inherent corruption to the system, both parties. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I do. I I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the disagreements between the parties, the public disagreements are theater, a political theater. And I think behind the scenes, like we just learned about Fauci laughing at us for, you know, for uh, obeying his orders when he didn't, when he knows how stupid they were. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of that going on behind the scenes with politicians. They're, they're friends, they're all wealthy, they hang out with each other and they probably laugh at us a lot. But I, I think, I do think though, that when you're making a decision, we talked about this in yesterday's show, you're making a decision as an adult, as a voter what are you going to do and i think right now my my whole point is whether they care or not i don't it doesn't matter to me i think a message needs to be sent to the democratic party right now in 2022 that what they've what they've done their ideology their 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 need for control over our lives and their love of big government they need they need to be punished for what what's happened they need to be punished for what they did to people and the only yeah. way the only way i know how to punish them is by voting them out right that yes, okay. the, the only we- way I know how to punish them is by you know watching cnn or 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 fox or whatever on the night of the election and seeing that republicans have taken over the house and senate and, and embarrassing democrats at least for that one night i think what that, you, what, that's what it? if you
1: have a greater ambition though because what if at the same time you know you're 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 basically trying to achieve that goal but at the same time you're trying to increase accountability inside republicans as well to ensure that you that, that citizens move the general trend in politics away from what it has become at the moment. So how do you do that? I mean, in in America, I guess you've got better chance of doing this than, than the UK. But... Well, you you said
0: something that's interesting. So are you in London?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, Manchester in, in Manchester. In okay, Northern.
0: so interested, you said we both have two party systems. I thought you had more than two parties
1: there. No, it's no. It's, it's complete theatre. Basically, we have a first-past-the-post system for voting, um, so it's not proportional representation. And really, you're only are ever going to get Labour or Conservative in, in for relatively long stretches. The only time that there was a third party involved, um, it was so poor that you'll never see that ever again. Nobody will ever let the third party in ever again, and it hasn't happened for decades and decades and decades anyway. So yeah. It's, it's so actually, what, what
0: you're really saying, and we see the same thing in Canada, right, between the 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 the, the, the liberal and conservative, right, uh, mm-hmm. is is that is that there's a there's kind of a uh, we we assume Americans assume this parliamentary system you have in the UK or Canada allows for like seven, eight, nine parties, but it really comes down to two parties anyway, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's completely bent, right? But the but the but the reality is that when you look at the difference in policy between these two parties, it's fuck all. The last time, the last time there was a difference was when Jeremy Corbyn, the the dyed of the wool socialist, was heading up the Labour Party, and even internally, the Labour Party internally sabotaged him, right? Using all manner of dirty tricks, and uh, and it was so basic, right? It was so crude. This is one of the biggest tricks they used. They claimed. And the people inside his own party used the media to peddle an idea that there was an anti-Semitic a problem of anti-Semitism inside yeah. the UK Labour Party.
0: I heard now, about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it was all false. And this yeah. is what this is one of what one of the mechanisms that they that they used. People started to generate complaint reports saying, "I've had an anti-Semitic event. I've had an anti-Semitic event." And they, they piled them up. One one news report said there's eight hundred reports of anti-Semitism that are being ignored. And that became spun into saying that the the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn has suddenly become anti-Semitic and and and, and by by association, somebody who has never been accused of, of being anti-Semitic, Jeremy Corbyn, is, is essentially Turning a blind eye to anti-Semitism, so therefore he is basically an anti-Semite, right? Which is not true. Now, the, the proof of the pudding of this fraudulence was that when Jeremy Corbyn lost the election and then was replaced as leader for the new guy, Sir Keir Starmer, there was an investigation into an internal investigation, and the report from that internal investigation said, um, two there were there were two cases of possible questionable anti-Semitic issues out of over 800 reports and this investigation recommends that there's a there's an apology made some changes to internal process and that's that and you're thinking hang on if this party is anti-Semitic you don't fix anti-Semitism in a party by saying sorry and then changing a complaints procedure right it's like you know, it's it was completely false. It was almost our equivalent of Russiagate in a way, right? That's almost what it was,
0: right? But so but bars Bar- Johnson, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Bars Johnson at least took a real beating over COVID, didn't he? Over his COVID policies?
1: No, not really. Not really. It is very theatrical. So he, he was able to get away with fucking anything. And the problem was that the opposition, so Keir Starmer, was worse. He was, his literally his whole line was, we want these policies and we want them harder and we want them earlier and sooner. So there was no reference point against which to say somebody was standing up saying Boris Johnson's doing something completely wrong and against the science. There was literally no one holding the British polit- uh, political establishment to account based on actual science. We, did, we barely had anyone like Rand Paul saying this is bullshit, right? We pretty much didn't have anyone. So so what we've had, what's happened in this country is essentially we have tracked um, the dominant global majority of policy until it became globally untenable. And then it started to wind back. Britain didn't wind it back um, any quicker than you guys did.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just I remember Boris Johnson being a total moron on COVID. I mean, just to me, you know, I remember he had gotten the COVID and he totally ignored national immunity. Then he got it again and he still isolated forever. And he thought, yeah, it was, it was a constant, I remember, you know, constantly testing for it even after he had it twice. I mean, it was the same kind of nonsense we saw here, you know, Mm. Uh, I thought he was a total idiot on the whole thing. Um, just like here, you know, ignoring the idea of national immunity, ignoring actual science, you know, (laughs)
1: Are you familiar with a, with a construct called the Global Public-Private Partnership?
0: I've heard about it.
1: I've yeah, there's a, so, so there's, there's, somebody wrote a really good article about it where they laid it out in a structural format, and I think that it's really useful to familiarize yourself with because what it shows is a kind of – it's almost a pyramid with five levels, and at the base is the public, and that is the lowest power form, right? They are the public. The next level above them is what's called policy – propagandists and that's all of the media communications outlets then you go above and you go you get policy enforcers and that is where government sits then you get the next layer up which is policy distributors and that's where the world economic forum corporations philanthropists um and something like the council the the club of rome um or something like that would sit and then above that at the top level you have policy creators which are things like the bank of international settlements and the central banks right when you view politics through that lens the world makes a hell of a lot more sense mm-hmm. because yeah. then you can then you can understand that policy generation is not coming from government via citizens it's being originated by vested minority interests i.e. the wef or whatever and and then filtering down and being enforced by government and then being repeated by the media. Well,
0: you know, there, a, there, are, there are entities that we know control our government and our politicians, right? Big yeah. Pharma, I'm some of the ones yeah. that are out there on the surface that we know about, they're not clandestine, that aren't like you say, part of, you know, uh, secrets, you know, societies or, or, or uh, deep state. We know Big Pharma influences yeah. politicians, that we know, right? There's zero doubt about that. There's zero yeah. doubt that Wall Street, influences politicians. We, we know about that, right? We know about Wall Street. We know about so we know about the big media controlling it and being, like I've said through this whole thing of COVID, we got big media, big government, big tech, big pharma, right? It's like, you know, the the unholy four that are in cahoots mm-hmm. with each other. But this is the stuff that I understand is on the surface. We all get it. Oh, we should get it. Some people don't get it. We all should get it. But you're right. There are other factors going on that we're not privy to, that we're not privy to, that, that control. But I think more and more they're being brought to the surface and a big part of the reason why they're being brought to the surface are the so-called crazy conspiracy theorists who were actually really good. Most of them. Yeah, there are some wacky people out there. I know a few, but there are a lot of them who are very good investigative. Nowadays, if you're an investigative journalist, you're called a conspiracy theorist. That's -hmm, how, that's how sad journalism has gotten. If you actually look deep into things, if you question them, you're a conspiracy theorist it used to be called great journalism it yeah. was called consp- and that is part of the social media the big government big tech that's part of their narrative to make us all seem crazy when we simply want to investigate things on our own and don't take the words we see on tv or hear on the radio or see mm-hmm. on social media you know so i think the fact is it's a lot like the klaus schwab guy right klaus schwab that evil bastard Mm-hmm. Well, more and more is being known about him and George Soros. But that's because of these great quote-unquote conspiracy theorists who actually ask questions yeah, and, and bring the stuff the, the, to the forefront.
1: The, one of the key um, measures of what you're saying is this. Why is it that Julian Assange, who has only ever published pro, uh, provably true things – Nobody has ever said the WikiLeaks ever pr- published anything that wasn't true. He is the world's greatest form of investigative journalism. Right. right? Absolutely. And, and yet look at what's happened to him and look at what the public support is for him. It's actually far lower than it should be, if you believe the media. Right. But he is the world's greatest truth teller that shine light on pretty much huge amounts of uh, the darkest parts of the way our world is actually run, and yet he's about to die in prison, right? No, I know. That tells you a lot about the apathy uh, amongst society for truth, and that should be should be the biggest warning sign of all. And, and even and even
0: I, Donald Trump didn't pardon, did he?
1: I know, and that's so sad because the funny thing about Trump, and I don't have strong feelings one way or the other because I don't really believe that the figurehead really is the defining factor, right? because he was clearly blocked massively by the system and the political actors around him right so he couldn't even do half the stuff he wanted to do but he said well, the interesting thing to me about trump was when i was watching him on the primaries trail he and i was watching i took the time to watch several of his full speeches because i just knew that they were misrepresented in the media and they were clipped down and they were bent right mm-hmm. when i watched him he was speaking very plain leads on 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 topics around economics, basic economics, basic situations that affected working class people and middle class people and rung home a lot. Inflation, you know, where, how 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 education, things like this. They were very straightforward. There's a lot of straightforward communication actually. And the thing is, in there, he said, "I love WikiLeaks and I'm going to jail Hillary Clinton." Right. Then when he got, when he got into power, he didn't do either of those things, no. and many of the things he didn't do. And there are probably quite a few reasons for that, but it's, it shows you that you still, even from a guy like Donald Trump, even though he's on the outside and he, he said what he needed to do to eventually win, but either he he chose not to follow through or he and or he couldn't because the system blocked him.
0: Yeah, I think on, parts, I think on the Hillary Clinton thing, on the Assange thing, I can't talk other than to say what you have said, that once again, it's part of the deal that you can't, You just can't pardon someone like that. Right. Um, Because they are they have real they they have real truth and knowledge and you don't want that out there. But um, I think with the Hillary Clinton part, it was probably just people within his own party saying, look, don't press this, you know, just simply let it go. You won. You did what you had to do to win. It helped you win. And then that just let go because it'll be seen as a political vendetta, which the Democrats don't seem to give a shit about, right? They'll raid, yeah. they'll raid Mar-a-Lago. They'll, they'll try to sue him in New York for a quarter of a billion dollars. They don't care. I don't know why he cared, but I think that's what happened is that they said, look, you'll, you'll look like a dictator going after his political opponents, so don't do it. Once again, the Democrats don't care about that now, but I think the people you know, who have some legitimacy told Trump, don't do that. You'll look like a dictator going after political opponents. Just let it go. You won. And I'm sure that's what he did. You know, he's not beyond reasoning with this. This is what Democrats want you to believe, that this guy's some ogre who you can't reason with, you can't talk to. I think that's more Joe Biden or da- Gavin Newsom than Donald Trump. But um, I, I think that maybe Trump is maybe too easily influenced, in fact, by some people. But uh, I think that's what happened. You know, I just think they told him, don't don't do it. And so he didn't do, you, do it.
1: How do you, now, how do you you wish you
0: Now I wish he had.
1: How do you feel about the. Um... The, the election count corruption narrative because if you look at Dinesh D'Souza's uh, documentary 2000 Mules and then you look at, there's another one I can't remember, it's just come out, it's about an hour long mm-hmm. um, which brings back in absolutely uh, testimony from even a guy involved in programming these systems saying they're all completely hackable, they're all completely uh, manipulable and so right. on and so forth do you think that there's that, that, that narrative holds water and do you think that there's a possibility that no matter what, come the next election, that mechanism is still going to be in play, or do you think it could be fixed if it's real?
0: No, that's a that, that's a tough question. Um, I don't know if it's real or not. I I, I find it's it's. Uh, I I don't know if I have an answer for you right now. I might have to think about that a little bit more. I think it's a little, I think it's very complex. I think it's a very complex situation. I mean, I don't I don't know how much. I I guess I could I want to ask you a question. Do people in Great Britain generally believe their elections are fair? Um,
1: Right. I I think I've never really known anyone close to me at all who's ever said this. The actual mechanisms are bent, right? We don't use voting computers, but we do use postal votes and there's always room for corruption in there, but I've never really heard anybody flagging that problem. Um, But they also recognise that the the first-past-the-post system and the way our county system works and and the way that there's essentially the system is set up, it's loaded in favour of um, a a territorial incumbent, right? right? And that is very... That's very problematic, because what it means is that if you live in a place that 's a safe seat right, the only thing you can do is tactically vote for somebody you don 't want who is the next strongest person who is most likely to knock that person out, but you could end up with actually somebody who you really don 't want in there just to get the other guy out and that that isn 't really the embodiment of democracy, is it if no. you have to resort to those tactics so but at the same time there's never been a real level of scrutiny into our system because we've never had such polarizing um, cam- a, a polarizing campaign that came down to real nuance of vote counts the uh, the jeremy corbyn um, loss of the election was never ascribed to being something to do with a vote count. it was all to do with the the narrative mental manipulation of Or his undermining before it came to the vote, if you see what I mean.
0: Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't. I guess when it comes to the voting system here, I mean, right now we're in this country's in its worst state. I think when it comes to trusting, obviously, the voting system, it's just in its worst state. I think the mail-in voting has really I understand the idea. Yes, some people can't make it to the polls, but we always had a system for that called absentee ballot, right? You put mm-hmm. in your request, you get it in the mail and you vote. But this whole idea of here in California, you get them, you get your ballot in the mail. It just comes in the mail. You don't have to ask for it. Mm-hmm. If you can even print them out, Does the system to even print the damn thing out. And I think you get to the point where it's so loose. That's the problem. It seems so loose. Yeah. Even if it's not loose, okay? even if there is a real system in place, most people don't know that mechanism. They can't visualize or intellectualize that mechanism. So it just seems so incredibly loose that there's Mm -hmm. no faith in it. And then when you have a situation like we had in 2020, where all of the voting that takes place on the day of is calculated quickly, and then these mail-in ballots come in drip, drip, drip over the next seven days, and the election flips from Trump Mm -hmm. to Biden, you can understand why Trump supporters don't, you know, don't trust that.
1: You mm-hmm. can
0: understand it. So they need to do something here to make people believe in the system a little bit more, and they really do. And I think it could be, a, you know, a unified voting system where it's the same in every state. You know, it can be it can be a, a system where we we vote over a weekend. We have two days to vote instead of one. But I, I really believe that we need to try to limit it to going. Get up, get, get off your ass, go to, the vote, go, go to the polls and vote. And if you can, mm-hmm. you put in the request for an absentee ballot the way you've always been able to. So this mm-hmm. whole idea of this makes it easier to vote or people couldn't vote before because they couldn't get off work. Make, hey, both parties should agree to make Election Day a federal holiday so you don't have to work. Right? Then there's no excuse that you have to go to work. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to do this. I don't like this system of just all of a sudden opening the mailbox and there's a ballot or I can print one out. I don't like it. I just don't. I don't like it. I think it, uh, I think another big problem with that is beyond like, um, corruption and, you know, people who are dead dying and people who aren't citizens dying. I don't necessarily, I like the idea of you go into a voting booth, you go into a voting booth, you're there by yourself, right? (laughs) Up until that point, your vote could have been influenced. You could be thinking which way you want to do it. Your husband might want to see your wife or whatever, but you go into that voting booth and it's just basically you in the voting booth. Okay. I don't like this idea of getting mail-in ballots simply because I think there are a lot of situations in this country where men will simply fill out their ballot for their their wives. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me that doesn't happen in a lot of households in this country or vice versa, but mostly it's going to be men filling out the ballots for their wives. And I I just, I don't like that. I don't like that where someone else can fill out your ballot, right? So basically that person's voting. Technically it's legal, right? but that person's basically voting twice aren't they so there's no yeah. control when you do mail in ballots your son can fill it out for you you can fill it out for your son oh yeah go ahead mom just throw it in the mail whatever i don't like that mm. i think i like the idea of you go into a voting booth it's just you there's no one influencing you when you're in that voting booth that's why they have that electioneering thing where you can't within 100 feet you can't you know hand out any paraphernalia there's something about that that's just much more secure one person one vote i don't like ballots going to people's apartments and homes i just don't like it yeah. i don't like it you know
1: yeah i, agree. I mean the, the, you know the things that i'm kind of here about manipulation of your system apart from what we've already talked about with the vote counts and so on is like the use of the the the, the supposed use of um you know, essentially illegal immigrants, to, unregistered illegal immigrants, and slackening of the slackening of the requirements to be able to vote to to exploit that and essentially, you know, I mean, I don't know whether it's true. It's just it, it's hard to know what on earth to believe. But it seems insane that that could happen. It, uh, do you, do you take that seriously or is that kind of potentially? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a a, a problem within the man, millions. You know what I'm saying? It's like a huge
0: problem. You know, I just think it's it could be a problem, but I think it's 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 so small. I don't think it really matters that much at this point. I don't think we should make a huge you know uh, issue over it. Uh, I don't think elections are swing as swinging one way or the other because of that. But um, I, I just think there are way too many holes in the system. You know, we can go over the, we spent a whole hour just going over the holes in the system, the possible the possible problems you get from the way the system is set up now. And and the fact of the matter is, people don't trust it. And the Democrats are hypocrites. they say, "Oh, the Republicans are the ones who always say, "Oh, the Republican election's stolen come on man russia 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 he 's an illegitimate president he 's not my president. you know come on, the, both sides have done this. Both sides do this, especially in tight elections right so uh, i don 't think anyone really trusts the system right now i really don 't
1: do, do, do you basically the the whole argument with the Democrats in power now is that Well, one of them is that Biden is clearly mentally incompetent from what I can tell. His his behaviorally, it it, it doesn't make sense to watch a guy wandering around on stage, not knowing where to go and shaking hands with the air and all this weird stuff. (laughs) How is he perceived in
0: Britain, by the way?
1: uh, Well, I've got to be honest, I don't spend a lot of time focusing on um, mainstream news. I have to scan a lot of media to to try to work out truth for myself. I'm one of those guys, right? But yeah. it's never really ever raised that he there might be something wrong with him ever. I've never seen that in the British press ever, right? I They've never look...
0: you've never seen anything in the British press questioning his cognitive ability.
1: Not really, no. It's I mean, sad. I don't look too hard. I don't see everything all the time, right? Um, just, but yeah. no, it's not really coming it doesn't really come up, right? But you
0: shouldn't have to look very hard. That's the point, I think.
1: <laughs> you shouldn't Well have yeah, to look I mean hard. you know, if you if you if you do want to look and you can go on to uh you know, you have a quick look at Tucker Carlson or then some so, or just type in Biden's gaffes onto YouTube, you will find it. But you kinda of have to look, right? Nobody's alerting the British public to this, right? Right. And then you look at Kamala Harris, I mean, she she doesn't have age as an excuse for being mentally incompetent, yet she appears to be. Mentally incompetent to me, right? Well, I think she's just
0: dumb. Is that, is that what you yeah. mean? <laughs> is that yeah, she, yeah. I don't think she has any cognitive issues the way Biden does. I don't think it's dementia. Yeah, all yeah, no, She's she is not qualified, right? No, she's not qualified at all. It's uh, but, uh, frightening.
1: But I find that right. I find that really disturbing because yeah.
0: Thank you. Of course, it is. Especially you, since you're so old A, and and
1: you do football, right? And B, you're meant to be kind of running, still running the world, right? And yet it's quite clear that the guy at the top party is not only riddled with corruption, right, which is provable by his son's laptop, but also he is two way, two cards short of a full deck. And then the, and the next person who will take over would clearly be not be up to the job. So but that tells you that both of those people are puppets. What
0: well, what's frightening about Kamala Harris, and I mentioned this before, is that it's amazing how How far she's gotten, right? She was the attorney general. She was the attorney of San Francisco, attorney general of California, United States senator from California, largest state in the country. And then it takes her becoming vice president for people to realize she's not competent. Look at all the damage she has done. Look at all the big offices she held. Think about how incompetent she was in all those in those three huge offices she held before this one. But she flew under the radar until she became vice president. And now everyone's realizing what a moron she is. But look how far she's gotten. How frightening is that idea?
1: Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot to be said though for the ability for sociopaths and even psychopaths to to fool people. To I guess power, yeah. yeah, right? But, because a narcissist as well can do it. You know, and, and there's a lot of that in politics. You can tell from people's sort of communicative style that there's somewhere in the spectrum of narcissism and possible sociopathy. And there's a, must be a huge amount of that in business and in, and in politics. So it doesn't surprise me in a way that she is where she is, but uh, what's the name of the lady in America, in New York, who's trying to sue Donald Trump, the the attorney general there, Letitia, something or other, is it? James. Yeah. 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 So, i i i I've only seen some short head clip uh, short short clips of kind of how she's communicating about that, right, but I'm looking at her thinking you're you're meant to be an analytically minded rationally minded legal mind, and yet you are communicating about trying to pursue Trump on a very childish basis on a very emotive basis which mm-hmm. is not in keeping with the rationality required for law. Yeah, he he, he beat Hillary
0: Clinton. He beat Hillary Clinton. It all started from that. He beat Hillary Clinton, and that's when it all started. That's when this all Trump derangement syndrome. You hear Letitia James. We'll talk more about it next week. But Letitia James, you see see her some of her ranting about Trump in the past. She's absolutely unhinged. She's insane.
1: And and there's no there's no demand for evidence, is there? There's no people operate now on on asserted sound bites. So, so you will never see politicians spending four hours in an open debate going into deep dives on topics, will you? You will get a guy turning up for two minutes on any show saying assert, 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 because, and that's it. It's, it's like yeah, that's no basis for making political decisions, either for voters or for the politicians themselves, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, it, uh, it's it's truly amazing. It's truly amazing that someone in that uh, Letitia's position can have. There are videos of her. I mean, this is not 1950. There are videos of her saying things like, "I'm going to get him. We're going to get him. I'm going to get him. He's the worst. We're going to find him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him." How how do you allow that for someone in that kind of a position? How does she keep her position? Well, she keeps it because the governor is a Democrat, right? Cuomo now, Hochul. So the governor's not going not to do anything, not going to speak out against, not going to fire her. So it's amazing. But her, uh, she's basically saying, I'm going to get him one way or another, almost like I'm going to get you my pretty from the Wicked Witch of the, <laughs> Oz, the Wizard of Oz, the Wicked Witch from the Wizard of Oz. And then she does, right? And then she supposedly does. And no one questions it. Well, no one on the left question, no, no one in the left own media question it. Obviously, if you watch CNN, MSNBC, you know, you have to watch Fox News in order to get anyone to question that behavior and the ability to keep her position after she talks that about somebody and she talks that way and then she supposedly gets him. She gets it's 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 so crooked. It really is so incredibly crooked. And it is what I said to you. It is basically getting revenge. From your political enemies and revenge for beating Hillary Clinton, beating Hillary Clinton and the woman who's supposed to have it. It was hers. How many times did Democrats say in that campaign? I don't know if you, if you heard this in the UK, but we heard here constantly. It's her time. It's her time. It's her yes. time. And how dare he take her time away from her? We got to get this guy. And that's what they've been doing for the last six years.
1: OK, yeah. Uh, on, on that point, going back to like the, 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 the Clinton versus Trump thing. Your, you know, your media was even willing to go around doing a vox pop of people saying, who are you going to vote for? And they're going to go, they, they were saying people were, people were getting airtime for saying, I'll vote for Hillary Clinton because she's a woman and, it's, and, and, and we need a woman in the White House. I was thinking, hang on a second, that is fundamentally sexist. Nobody would be allowed to be saying, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump or any other man because he's a man. Of course right? not. Oh, of course, it's completely not. insane, right? To to, yeah. to to allow that kind of polarized one sided polarization on a gender basis, no matter whether you're woke or not, it just doesn't make sense. No, you know, and this gets down to this idea of um, you mentioned wokeism, right? So, basically, if you have a job, this is my attitude to, to this if you have a job requirement, you set the basic qualification standards and stuff, and you set the bar for that job. And then you then you screen everybody against that bar. And ideally, what your process is, is nothing to do with their name, nothing to do with their gender or their preferences. You simply don't ask any of those questions. You just go, here are the questions relating to the job and your qualifications for that and your vision for the future of this position, and we'll try and work out whether we're gonna take a chance on you, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Except that there are now so many other forces in play in perception, whether that comes from affirmative action or whether that becomes more nuanced and biased in favour of um, diversity statistics and so on and so forth, that it's rendered the bar of a job, uh, based on skills and suitability, just on capability, irrelevant in a lot of respects. And this has been sort of outed a little bit by Ver- Project Veritas has caught people out admitting to this, and, and it's happened in other, 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 other walks, right? And the issue for me around wokeism is and this identity politics thing is it is a weaponization of individualism so if you try to fracture society or and I use that word very guardedly down and down and down so that people can find identity at such a such a tiny minority basis, what you actually do is you achieve the breakup of power amongst the citizen mass and that's what i think wokeism is for right yes it's essentially to turn people's views uh, a, a way of looking at this is that is about tribalism right people get identity from a tribe and, and generally that starts at the national border i'm an right. american I'm a, I'm a brit whatever and it comes back down to say maybe i'm a floridian maybe i maybe I support this football team, maybe I do this job, whatever. And your tribal identities come down and down and down until eventually you're left with friends and family. And what you want to do if you want to maintain constant power over the masses is destroy their identity boundaries and make them as small as possible. And that's what I think, you know, wokeism and identity politics is really all about. It's how you do that on a massive scale.
0: It's how you do that on a massive scale, yes, and that and that's something that once again I think right now, getting back to the original point we spoke about, was the idea that this is really being pushed now by the left. It's yeah. really being pushed now by the left, and the right has you know tried to fight against this. And I think it's the wokeness. I think I really think wokeness is one. It might might kill Democrats in November more than COVID. I think the wokeness thing. People are tired of it. People are tired of 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 this whole idea of walking on eggshells on every little thing of of, of comedy. Yeah destroyed, of, of society being, you know, of culture being destroyed, of not being able to disagree with people, of having the government say, we, we, we control your children, not the parents. That's the big yeah. reason Glenn Youngkin one in Virginia. I think all these elements right now, to me, getting once again back to our original point, really separates the two parties. I want to, I want to talk one more thing that I'm actually get to my film reviews. And, uh, but I yeah. want to ask you one question, since I have you on the line, you're in the UK. What is your take on the on on the, the royal family and that continuing in your country, are you a big okay, royal? I'm,
1: I'm not. I'm yeah. I'm not a royalist. I I, um, I basically, my my problem is that there's two there's two questions. If the queen or now the king does not have any direct political power, what is their point in society? Because what people will tell you is that that position was a check and ba- a final check and balance over the power of government. So she could have vetoed um, the acts of her government in extremis. So the idea might be that if you really realised that your government had gone haywire and was going to invade illegally for some reason, she could have probably stepped in and said, bullshit, guys, we're not having it, right? But she gave up that power a long time ago. So you've got to ask the question, what the fuck's the point in the monarchy? And I don't know what the answer to that is, but I suspect that its not it doesn't serve the citizen anymore right at all in any way because she doesn't have the power in the seat now the second question is why is it that most of the territories around the world that are tax havens or tax evasion points british crown territories and those two things together are really tell you something about what the point of the british monarchy is it's it's to maintain some of that aspect of the global uh, system
0: yeah, I, to, to me, it's what's really amazing to me watching the whole thing on this side of the pond on TV. I watched a lot of the stuff on Fox. They showed the the you know the, the funerals and all that stuff. Is uh, uh, by the way, who pays for that? Do the people pay for that, or is, or is the royal family pay? Public, public money? It's public money. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Christ. Oh my God! Would that cost about eight
1: hundred million pounds? Jesus, it's I don't know, mate. Because imagine how much it would cost to get all of those heads of state in, and the security bill must have been. <sighs> Billion,
0: incredible! That that's truly incredible that the people have to pay for that. But anyway, um, I was watching that and thinking, it's really amazing to me how people on the left can, in one in one breath, say, "Oh my God, we're against elitism," but of course, people, we know people on the left are some <laughs> one of the most elitist, privileged yeah. people, and then they just go off loving this stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, this is basically the height of elitism and privilege, right? And raising these people up to say, look, I understand 70 years. I understand the history. I understand it's amazing. She seemed to be a very nice person, the kind of person I liked My, grand- to, you know, my grand- to be my grandmother. She seemed very cool, very great sense of humor, dry sense of humor, nice person, did a lot for charity. I get it. I'm not here to badmouth her. But some people have this idea that, you know, one person's death isn't more important than the other's. But when you see something like that, they're obviously saying, well, this person's death is much more important (laughs) than anybody else's, basically in current history, right? In the the last hundred years, you know, so there's something really garish about it, I think. I really do, you know. Yeah, agreed. You know, and I don't know. I I think, I think what really people in this country would make, I don't know about your country, people in this country, and there's a history of this in your country, there's more history involved. But here. It's more like, just like, uh, what do you call it? Soap opera stuff, right? Yeah, You know, it's like tabloid stuff. It's like, a, it, it, people who have empty lives, just fills up their lives. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So, so it's almost like a soap opera does. I remember being a young boy and uh, my grandmother would be loving the soap operas and she would talk to her friends about people in the soap operas as though they knew them, you know, as though they were yeah. like relatives. I used to think they were talking about my relatives before I realized I was old enough to realize they're just talking about a fucking soap opera. but they got so involved in it these people became like their family right And i think that's what happens a lot with these with these kinds of the the royal family is like becomes the family of the people you know who who watch it it so much and need that celebrity culture yeah celebrity culture yeah exactly exactly but but do you think i guess the bottom line is do you think do you think this is going to end at some point is it going to continue
1: um I've got to admit, I think it's going to continue because I think that Charles more than the Queen is more visibly allied to the globalist structures and means of power. And that is going to be, whereas the Queen didn't turn up at the WEF, Charles did, right? And yeah. and that means that there's a vested interest to keep that his position of power going, right? He seems
0: um, like such an adult though, doesn't he, adult?
1: <laughs> well, mate, um, okay, so I, I, went, I, used, I went flying with somebody uh, when I was at work, and he turned out to be an ex-helicopter instructor in the RAF, and his mates trained uh, Prince Harry in Apaches, yeah? Yeah. And, and, and I said, "Oh well, what, what was the take on him then? Was he any good? And he went, no, he was thick as fuck. And basically, we, we, had to, we they had to get him through, but he was rubbish. Right. And and then and, and then and then he but then that never comes out, right? And 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 you're looking at him now, Harry's the yeah, it's Meghan and Harry, isn't it, right? And yep. and you're looking at him now and what's he done? He's tried to pursue he thinks that he's got commodity, celebrity commodity, that runs further than his um value as a royal. And so he has essentially broken away to try to pursue the celebrity dollar on his own terms. I I think that's a big mistake because because if if you listen, if you you listen to him on a podcast, I don't think that's going to that that's going to last. Right. So 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 I just find that the whole construct of what what he would bring um, and what Charles brings is not what is in the public eye. It's 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 underneath that it's power, money and connection, if you see what I mean. And therefore, I think that it will persist.
0: Well, that's, it's interesting. I think you're probably right. I don't, I don't see it ending anytime soon. It's just too much glamour, too much money, too much media attention. And I, I don't think it's going to, I don't think, I think, I think the younger generation is going to take it less and less seriously. Right. But I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's really going to go away any, anytime, any, you know, any, anytime soon, you know, to tell you the truth. But what yeah. I, what I want to get to, I'm going to let you go in a second, but Iggy, thanks okay. for calling. I, I really appreciate yeah, I think it. I enjoyed the conversation then. But this is a great transition because my, I'm going to do a film review now. Of, are you a David Bowie fan? Yeah. Oh, well, Moon Age Daydream is a documentary. I don't know if you've heard about it. And yeah, this, yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to get into that now, but stay, stay with me. But thanks for calling, and uh, hopefully uh, you can call back again next week. We'll talk more.
1: Pleasure, Mike. Great yeah. talking to
0: you. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Okay, yeah, so what a great, what a, what a great transition. We had a, a Brit on, and now I'm into in, uh, reviewing Moon Age Daydream. Now look at this coincidence uh David Bowie, by the way so i'm fifty one so i my 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 recollection of david Bowie, I was never a real David Bowie fan, but my recollection recollection starts my earliest recollection of Bowie's like early eighties, you know early to mid eighties that's when I really remember let's dance, put on your red shoes and dance all that stuff and I remember David Bowie dressing like it just does nice suits like those really fancy eighties style Miami kind of suits that he used to put on, he'd look really good. And that's, that's my recollection of David Bowie. That's who I believe David Bowie is. So I walk into this movie, Moon Age Daydream, which was showing in IMAX here in San Francisco. I think it's showing in IMAX in some theaters, but you should go see it regardless. One of the best documentaries ever, uh, one of the best biopics ever. Um, Brett Morgan, who directed it, also directed that, uh, co directed the the Kids Stays in the Picture, the Robert Evans documentary. He's done several documentaries, he has done the Kurt Cobain one. But this one here is so free its so cinematic. Think about most of these documentaries and biopics; is that they're not very interesting to look at. This film is absolutely beautiful, beautiful cinematic imagery. And what Brett Morgan really does is, when it starts out, we're looking at Bowie Watt in the late '60s, early '70s, when he was really into the you know the whole uh, androgynous thing, right? You talk about we talk about trans stuff, but they're androgynous stuff where you didn't know whether he was you know, gay or straight. And he'd have mas, you know, masculine feminine thing going and he dresses in, you know, high heel shoes and, you know, those fancy outfits, feminine outfits. And that was the beginning of David Bowie. That's, I don't remember. I was too young. I wasn't born yet actually to remember that David Bowie. So we start out, the film starts out basically at that period when he was just really coming to prominence and in, in popularity in Great Britain before he moved to the United States. But it's, the film is otherworldly. I mean, it actually has images of outer space and the moon and great, of course, great uh, sound and fantastic Bowie music. And the, the way the, the director Morgan constructs it, constructs it, it's the documentary really does take on the personality of, of, of David Bowie, the aura of David Bowie and at the beginning, this half hour, 45 minutes, as, as Bowie himself is coming into form, the film is coming into form. And it, we may feel a little distance from it, but then as we get to know Bowie more, and as he developed as a human, the film comes back down to earth. It's a brilliant construction of a film. As we become to know and learn more about the, but I didn't realize a lot about the guy. First of all, I didn't. I knew he was an actor. I knew he'd done a Nicholas Rogue film, The Man Who Fell to Earth, all that stuff, but I didn't know that he played the elephant man in theater. I didn't know that. I also think he was a great artist as far as he, he started doing paintings he started doing incredible paintings uh, as he got into his thirties and forties. I didn't know any of that either. Uh, I didn't know, you know. But Bowie had a very interesting worldview of, you know, of taking chances in life and not and not staying pat, and really trying to understand what are the reason for existence. And the film goes into that too. And it really matches the the the, the visual style of the film matches David Bowie's persona. The music is fantastic. There's some great rock footage that's edited in perfectly to some interviews Bowie also did throughout his life, the way he changed from believing that love was almost like a disease. And then later in the film, when he meets Iman and they do it an interview and he says, I have come, the line I believe is I've come to realize to have, I've come to have genuine disdain for that comment that I made when I was younger, that love was disease. It's, it's a great film. It really is. It'll, it'll give you much greater appreciation for David Bowie. I actually want to revisit his music Moon Age Daydream, really, truly, A, A, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Okay, so Moon Age Daydream. And now we're going to transition to uh, Don't Worry, Darling. (laughs) And uh, this is a, uh, it takes place in the 50s, Don't Worry, Darling. And uh, it stars Francis Pugue, who's fantastic, really Oscar worthy, and Harry Styles. Hey, Harry Styles. they play a couple, and also we have uh, Chris Pine is also in it. And uh, also in it is uh, the film's director, uh, Olivia Wilde. And uh, pugin and and, and Styles play a couple. The film opens in the 50s, you know, 1950s Americanos. So, you know, are so, so Inland Empire, California, and the usual 50s beautiful cars, and uh, it takes place in a cul-de-sac where these couples live four couples in a cul-de-sac and they all know each other and they all work for the same company and the housewives all hang out with each other and do, and do little, you know, they go shopping together. It's a perfect kind of fifties. The man works, the woman stays at home. The men go to work, and the women clean the house during the day, and the men come home, and the woman has the, the food ready for them in spick and span. And it seems like a perfect existence, 50s existence, right? And Pugue and, and, and Styles are interesting. They're a great couple. They have hot sex all the time. They're in love. And everything seems to be just perfect, but just a little too perfect. And Chris Pine plays Frank, who is the boss of Harry Stiles, and the boss of all the men who work in that company, who live in that cul-de-sac, in a fictional city in california let's say southern california called victory california victory and as the film goes on francis Pugh begins to see something's wrong this 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 perfect life there's something beneath there's something beneath that's darker i won't get into that i don't want to give it away but let's just say all is not as it appears in 50s americana um it's an interesting film in that it creates incredible suspense. It really does. This is not going to be for everyone's taste, and the reviews have actually been pretty mixed. I love the film. I think it's great. I think it, 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 it maintains your attention. It creates incredible suspense and anxiety uh, as the film goes along, as you're trying to figure out with her, we're on the same level she is and what is going on, what is happening. It's something about the company he works for. It's about Chris Pine, his boss, who's very dominating and alpha, and, uh, and, and and there seems to be something going on. And she doesn't know, and we don't know exactly what it is, that he does for a living. And that becomes the suspicion. What do you do for a living? What does he do for a living? What is this company doing? What is this company developing? Why is this community so perfect and so uh, isolated from the rest of the, what seem like the rest of the world, not just the worst of California? As the film goes along, it really does keep us guessing. And, and the direction it goes in, we don't expect it at all it's a, it's 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 a the idea of, of the company being sinister let's say i don't want to give it away is kind of a red herring to what is really going on um, but the film brings up a lot of questions about that whole 50s society and the roles of men and women and uh, the roles of the you know the the, the, the worker and the, and the and the stay-at-home you know mom or the stay-at-home wife and 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 the and the, the i guess the societal changes that ha- that have happened through time and can men deal with those societal changes of changes in sexes and the changes in roles? It's really a very cleverly written film, but it's also a really good thriller. It keeps you on the edge all the way. Frances Pugue and Harry Styles are both great. I was really surprised at Styles, but Frances Pugue's performance is Oscar worthy. She's phenomenal. And we really feel the tension that she's feeling, everything that she's feeling, the claustrophobia, the the not knowing what's going on, the think of of, of sinister things happening around her. We feel it because the performance is so freaking good. So I'm going to really recommend Don't Worry, Darling. I think it's a great film. Like I said, the reviews have been mixed, but I think you shouldn't listen to the reviews. You should listen to me. I think you'll really like it. If you're in the mood for a good, suspenseful thriller, Don't Worry, Darling. If you're in the mood for a great documentary, one of the best films of the year, then Moon Age Daydream. All right. Wow. Good show. About an hour and a half. Look at this. Um Iggy, thanks for calling. I think Iggy was my lone caller today, but it was nice to have a caller from the u k the other side of the pond. I think that might be maybe only my first or second caller um from from the u k so thanks for that and uh next week we'll talk uh more. We'll see what happens over the weekend but 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 we're getting uh six weeks away from uh, midterm elections here uh in the United States, and I think we need to really start talking about some of these races that are going on and uh you know, talk more, I guess, in depth about, and also I'm, I'm going to be interested in people who are living in places where these big races are happening to call in and tell me more about what's going on there locally. Because once again, here in San Francisco, we're screwed. The Democrats are always going to win here. There's no chance of any real change. And that in itself is, is, a, is a travesty, but I'm going to end the show and end the week and say, I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope you do some have fun stuff. Uh, The summer's over, but the warm weather, I think, is still with us in most parts of the country. So enjoy it while you can. This has been a Let's Be Heard. I'm Micah Chopley. I want you to remember, always remember, vote Democrats out of office. Vote them out now. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you back here 11 p.m. Pacific time, 2 a.m. Eastern time. Iggy, I don't know what time, London. What, 5, 6? Was it 6, 7? I don't know. Anyway, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern Monday night. See you right back here. Thanks for listening.